start, I'm going to pray for us. Dear Father, we thank you for this morning as we reflect on the year that we've just had and the year to come. We pray that as we uh, look into your word, that you would um, speak to our hearts, that you would teach us about yourself and how we are to live in light of that. Thank you for the time of worship we were just able to have, focusing on your cross, what you've done for us, and your holiness. We pray that that would continue on to the rest of our service here. Amen. So if you've been with us the past few weeks, we've been going through the themes of Advent. Uh, this culminates at the Christmas Eve service that we had last week where uh, Darren took us to the birth of Jesus and the purpose of his ministry. And this sermon's going to be a little bit of a jump from there, but it does have a bit of a connection. So uh, the word Advent means the arrival of someone or something great. And so it's a clear connection to uh, the Christmas story, but also where we're going today is that we are in a time of anticipation, both for uh, the second coming of Christ and also for the year ahead of us. So this morning, as we look at John chapter 14, we're going to look at four promises, and that's four is just how I counted them. You can probably count them differently. There's one in uh, verse 7 I put into verse 1. But anyways, four promises from Jesus that will calm his disciples' troubled hearts when they think about the future. And then I also want to relate these promises to our own lives. So let's start out by reading our passage. This is John 14, starting in verse 1. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am you may be also. And you know the way to where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. So we should get a, a little bit of the context in the big picture here. So this is at the start of Jesus's, um, you can call it a farewell address or upper room discourse. Um, to his disciples, and this is the night before Passover, so the following day the Passover lambs are going to be sacrificed at the, about the same time that Jesus is crucified, and right now they're in the upper room, Jesus has washed their feet, they partook in supper together, Judas has left the scene already in order to have Jesus handed over to the Jewish authorities. And all throughout Jesus' ministry, he's been telling his disciples that he's going to be handed over and crucified. But now the hour is drawing very near, and he reminds them in 1333, where I'm going, you cannot come. And so the disciples are very anxious. Jesus is about to leave them, and he was saying that you're going to abandon me and scatter, and this is a very troublesome time for them. It's troublesome because this is the one who these people left everything for. If you remember back in the story, Simon, Peter, and Andrew were fishing down at the water. Jesus said, come follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. 
and they left their nets there and followed Jesus. Or Matthew or Levi, the tax collector, who's sitting at his booth doing his job. Jesus comes and says, follow me. And he leaves his sustainable job in order to follow this guy around the countryside. So Jesus was their life savings, and they left everything to be with him, and now he's leaving them. So the whole focus of this four-chapter discourse is Jesus leaving. Let not your hearts be troubled. That's the whole message I have for you, and if we're just looking at this snapshot of the farewell discourse, that's all that Jesus needs to tell his disciples as well. And he gives them several reasons not to worry. But here's the key that he lays in verse 1, is that these promises he's going to give them are based upon faith. So verse 1 says, Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. Don't worry, Jesus puts it. And the same statement, he says it another way, the rest of the verse. Believe in God, believe also in me. So the comfort that he's bringing them comes not only from what he's about to say, but also in the very statement, believe in God. The command for them to believe in God is something that they are very familiar with. Each of these 11 men are all Jews, and this is kind of first grade for them, believe in God. Like their whole lives and their culture is based around the fact that they are children of Abraham, they keep the law, they worship God. It's who they are. And Jesus groups this into the same command as belief in his name. Believe in God, believe also in me. This is a claim to deity. And if you're reading through the book of John, this is no shock to you. It's a huge theme throughout the book. And I'm sure that the disciples were also getting used to it at this point. Um, just before, in verse, or chapter 13, he says, whoever receives me, receives not me, but the one who sent me. Or in chapter 8 when he says, before Abraham was, I am. And even the, the first verse of the book is in the beginning of the word. Was the word, the word was with God, and the word was God. Uh, another rendering of verse 1, uh, I believe the NIV uses it. It says, you believe in God, believe also in me. In other words, um, this is something you already have. We're going to take it another step further. Belief in me or faith, trust in me. So the key that kind of brings out uh, the point of this is that belief in God, belief in the Father, something that they've grasped very well, they cannot see the Father. In the same way, Jesus is wanting them to have belief in his name, the same way that they have faith in the Father whom they cannot see because Jesus is going to be hidden from their sight for a while. Hebrews 11 verse 1 says that, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. So Jesus is going to be hidden. And that's the, the foundation that he lays for these promises that he's going to bring up. This uh, first point that I have isn't so much a promise, but rather the foundation of them. Jesus is going to be leaving. Don't worry, rather have faith, trust me, believe me, believe in God. So, I'm taking a little bit more time for this first point because it's kind of 
important for getting our text right. And this is a major theme throughout the entire Bible in that God requires a faith that is not based on sight. Rather, we have faith in despite of or set apart from what we do see. So we can say this, we take God at his word. I like the song um, that we sang, um, the importance of words, David put it, right? Here is my Ebenezer. God has given us a word, he's given us his word, or the word manifested, which is Jesus, and we are given that, and we say, okay, God, I'm going to believe you in this. And so a couple examples of this. One is Abraham, or Abraham. God told him, I want you to leave your homeland and go to a land that I'm going to show you. Abraham had not seen it, But he says, okay, I'm just going to have to trust God on this one. But along with that, God gave him promises. He says, I'm going to show you the land. I'm going to give this land to you and your offspring. Through you, the nations are going to be blessed. And I will multiply your descendants. Another example of this, a a bit of a negative example, was after the Exodus, God commanded the Israelites, I'm going to take you into the promised land. But in order to get there, you're going to face some opposition. But when the Israelites came up against some of their opposition, they saw, right, they saw the opposition, and they were afraid, and they lost faith. They put their confidence rather in what they saw with their eyes rather than in the promises of a faithful God who has shown himself in the past. And that's exactly what Jesus is doing in our section here. He's telling them, You have no reason to lose faith or be worried when I leave, when I'm hidden from your sight. Rather, put faith in what I'm going to tell you instead of what you see because things are going to be going wrong by your own standards. So let's move into verse 2, and we're going to see the first promise. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? So that's the first promise. Promise number one that casts out worry about the future is that there is a home in heaven with room for each one who believes in Jesus. And this is pretty cool because Jesus is using an illustration that they would have been very familiar with um, when he's talking about this house. And um, by it, he's alluding to heaven, but he's also hinting at the cross when he uses the word prepare. So this illustration, um, I have a picture of it here. Um, It's from in ancient times when the bridegroom would go and he would make a house for his soon-to-be bride. So there's two parts to the wedding. There's a betrothal and then a commencement ceremony. So then after the betrothal, he'd go to his father's house and build a room onto the side of it and after the construction was done, he'd go to his bride. They'd have that ceremony. Then he'd take her to the father's house where they would live together. And this is actually called an insula. That's the, the word for it. It's mainly found in the province of Galilee, still in the, the Jewish territory. But this is mostly for Galileans. And 11 of the 12 disciples were actually from Galilee, uh, 11 So other than Judas Iscariot, who's already out of the scene at this point. So these are just remains of it. The 
tops of the houses are gone. But as you can see, there's so many different rooms, right? As the, the family would grow, so would the house. I don't know at what point they would just say, okay, someone's got to go build a different house, but, you know, <laughs> yeah. So this illustration that Jesus is giving, I go to prepare a place for you, he's not so much talking about what heaven is physically going to look like, but rather it's about, um, it's like a word picture of its social framework, and that picture is family, right? You have a house and everybody's living there together. So if we were to word this like Jesus' other uh, kingdom illustrations, like the kingdom of God is like a mustard seed, like a lost coin, a lost sheep, uh, the sower and the seed, we could word it like, what can the kingdom of God be compared to? It's like a house that a groom prepared for his bride. And it's a really cool picture, I think, of sufficiency. right? This isn't like um, heaven is something where you might accidentally end up there, or you might get there and then figure out that, it's, that there isn't really enough room for you. No, Jesus is saying that I'm going to go and each person's got a place in God's kingdom. And so I said that when Jesus uses the word prepare, he's somewhat alluding to the cross. And uh, I'll word it like this in a question, or why we think that he's alluding to the cross. So why does Jesus say that he needs to leave them in order for them to join him later in heaven. Is heaven ready yet? Is Jesus seated at the right hand of God, or has he got a colossal construction project going on underway? I'll word it like this in answer to that. Heaven is already prepared for us, right? Before the foundation of the world, um, he knows who he's bringing in, but the cross is the only means by which one can enter into heaven. Jesus is preparing heaven for us here in our story in the sense that if Jesus doesn't go to the cross, we are dead in our sins. Because we are dead in our sins, we're unworthy of standing in God's presence. And that's the second promise that I have for us today. It has to do with the presence of God. So I'll read in verse 3. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am you may be also. So our second promise that casts out worry about the future is that because of the gospel, those of faith will spend eternity in God's presence. Because Jesus is about to leave his disciples, first to the grave, then after raising from the dead, ascending to heaven, he says that they have no reason to be afraid because Jesus has promised them a secure future through the work he is about to do. And that is what heaven uh, really is, not including the details I don't know about. It's a restored relationship between God and mankind to the extent that we can stand in the presence of a holy God and not die. Not die because sin is removed through Jesus' sacrifice, his death and resurrection. And where sin is removed, so is the curse of sin, which is death, or separation from God, no longer being allowed in his presence. Uh, Romans says, for the wages of sin is death. And this is a big theme in the Bible because it's how it opens up and also how it closes. And with Jesus in the middle, um, 
God's presence. So the Bible opens up, Adam and Eve in the garden, no sin and no shame, and the Lord walked with them in the cool of the day, it says. And then how it closes, Revelation 21 says, and I heard a voice from the throne saying, behold, the dwelling place of God is with man, and he will be their God and they will be his people. And then here in the center, we have Jesus come into the scene to restore that relationship. And John 1 verse 14 says, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we've seen the glory, glory as of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. So, this is why he had to leave his disciples. And it's also why we find comfort in the future. So we have a house that Jesus promises to build for us and to take us to, and we also have a relationship that he's promised to restore. So I said that this is kind of a picture of family, right? And I was reading in Romans 8 a few weeks ago, and I thought I really need to include this because it's really cool. He uses a similar, similar illustration, and it has to do with adoption, so family, right? So in Romans 8, verse 15, he says that in Jesus, through his cross, we have adopts, adoption into his family, right? And then later on, in verse 23, he's keeping on with this theme. He says that the creation is eagerly longing and waiting for restoration, right? Similarly, we as Christians are awaiting a full adoption into his family. So we have a picture of already but not quite yet. And this is the illustration that Jesus is using when he's speaking to uh, his disciples in the upper room. He's saying, you guys already belong to me, but I'm going off to prepare this house, and one day we're going to be together in this household together, no barriers, and you're going to see it. So we get to experience God's family now, right? We have a relationship with God, and we have a place in his church, his worldwide church, the bride, but one day it'll be a magnified reality, something that's already there, brought to its fullness. I'm going to move on to verse four and five. Oh, I had another picture. This is the, the tabernacle presence, right? Everybody gathered around God. But moving on to verse four and five, we have another promise from God and a, a bit of the disconnect the believers are, or the disciples are experiencing. Thomas, oh, verse 4. And do you know the way to where I am going? Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? So in promise number three, that casts out worry about the future. Those who know Jesus know the way to the Father. Thomas says they don't even know where Jesus is going. They don't understand it fully quite yet. But Jesus is assuring, you know how to get there because you've been with me. We do not know everything about heaven. I don't know when I'm going to go there or what it will exactly look like. But Jesus has promised you and me that we know how to get there so long as we know him who is the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus understands that his disciples don't really get the gravity of this yet, but he acknowledges that in just over... A little bit more than three days from now, they're going to get a, a whole lot more. And then even more at Pentecost when he sends the Holy Spirit uh, to teach them all things and bring to remembrance 
all that he has said. It says later in verse four, or chapter 14, um, but the helper, this is verse 26, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. And they don't fully get it yet, but Jesus says, that's okay. We're going to work on this, and you're going to get there. So we have another promise in verse 6. And this one is a little bit different because, well, it's still a promise, but it also affects the promises before it and how they kind of work. And we get to see uh, a new light into that. So I'm going to read verses 6 and 7. Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. So Jesus' fourth promise that casts out worry about the future is that he is the way, the truth, and the life. So we've been talking about these promises and how they will remove anxiety if they're taken in faith. And we have the picture of a household, a restored relationship, how Jesus will take us there, how it's going to kind of look relationally. And I'd like to group these all into one promise, and we could word it like, this is Jesus' promise of eternal family, okay? And here's how verse 6 kind of affects that. And I'll, I'll word this positively as well as negatively, how this verse uh, works into the structure of this. So positively, Jesus is the way. All who enter into God's eternal family, right, this promise of eternal family, do it through following the requirements set by Jesus, and his requirement is faith. Jesus is the truth. All who enter into God's eternal family do it through faith that all of Jesus' claims are certain. Jesus is the life. All who enter into this eternal family have found true life, or as Jesus calls it in John 10, verse 10, I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. So I'll put it negatively. Jesus is the way. No one will get to heaven or enter into this promise of eternal family without doing it Jesus' way. Jesus is the truth. No one will get to heaven apart from a full trust in the truth of Jesus' claims, right? If we go back to that um, Israelites leaving Egypt, they didn't trust what God was saying to be certain, therefore they didn't get to enter the land. They had to wait till the next generation. So that's Jesus is the truth. Jesus is the life. No one has true life apart from this family. True life is only found in Jesus, and apart from his sacrifice, we are dead in our sins. So just like the 11 disciples in the upper room, Jesus has given us more than enough reason not to worry about the future based on these promises. Um, I believe this should be the main takeaway for this morning. Because Jesus has decided not to share everything about the future with us. Right? This year to come, it could be very average, it could be very hectic. But Jesus tells his followers in these verses and some of the verses to come that he's enough for the future. But I also want to relate this to right now, to today. How does these things bring hope for today? And I think that's where uh, Philip is taking that in verse 8. He says, Lord, show us the Father, and it is enough for us. 
right? For right now, Jesus, you're saying that we're going to leave you. You're saying that you're going to be handed over. We're anxious right now. Maybe he was thinking about Sinai when the glory of God was up on the mountain and the Israelites were all at the base of the mountain looking at the glory of God. They were able to see with their eyes a part of God's glory and know God is with us right now. We are his people. Or maybe Peter, James, and John were talking a little about the transfiguration which they got to experience. Maybe he was thinking, if I can just see a little bit more of God's glory in a way like that, then I'll have more faith, and then I won't be worried. Jesus responds that he is enough for today as well as tomorrow. He says, have I been with you so long, Philip, and you still do not know me? He says, I and the Father are one. He reminds him of that. He says, I am enough for today. So we are all going to have struggles for peace our whole lives. We're going to worry about things our whole lives. But for those who belong to Christ, it's comforting because this is not an eternal reality, right? We will struggle with peace. The Holy Spirit is going to, he does indwell us and he's going to work with us on this. But one day when Jesus takes us into that eternal family, those things are going to be removed. And he has promised us this in his word. So even though Jesus' disciples are about to scatter and abandon him temporarily, after he raises from the dead, he's going to dwell with them on earth and then through his Holy Spirit and then eternally through the heavenly family. I like that, Matthew 28. And behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. So is this the assurance we are living in when we think about the future and this new year and about today? The assurance is found in these promises, these promises of family that Jesus is preparing for us a home. He's going to take us to that home and in that home, he's gonna dwell with us. It's not like a hotel where the manager is somewhere else and we've all got our separate rooms, but we're all together. All these promises are based upon God's character, that he's the way, the truth, and the life, that these are outpourings of his love for people and his desire to be with us. So as we go into this new year and into our days leading ahead, we do have hope for the future and where God's going to, to take us. So I'd like to, to close and pray, and David and Ali are gonna come back up and sing some songs with us, and we Praise God together. So let's pray together. Dear Father, we thank you so much that you have promised us in your word that you desire to be with mankind, that you desire to restore relationships and to be with us. Um, you have not left us in our sins, but you sent Jesus to die for us. And we've been reflecting on that in the Christmas season. But Lord, I pray that as we go into this next year, that your gospel would be on the forefront of our minds, that you dwell in our hearts, and you will one day take us to be with you eternally. So go before us today, and I pray that uh, we live in light of these promises. Amen. Thank you. Thank, thank you, Matthew, for bringing us the truth of the word this morning. In light of these truths that we've been reminded of, I invite you to stand and let's sing and worship our God for them this morning.
of grace is Jesus my Redeemer. There is no more for heaven now to give. He is my joy, my righteousness and freedom, my steadfast love, my deep and boundless peace. To this I hold my hope is only Jesus, for my life is wholly bound to His. Oh, how strange and divine I can sing, all is mine, yet not I, but through Christ in me. But I am not forsaken For by my side The Savior He will stay I labor on In weakness and rejoicing For in my need His power is displayed To this I hold my shepherd will defend me through the deepest valley he will lead oh the night has been won and i shall overcome yet not i but through christ in me I know I am forgiven The future sure The price it has been paid For Jesus bled And suffered for my pardon And he was raised To overthrow the grave To this I hold My sin has been defeated Jesus now and ever is my plea Oh, the chains are released I can sing I am free Yet not I, but through Christ in me I long to follow Jesus, for he has said that he will bring me home. And day by day, I know he will renew me until I stand with joy before the throne. To this I hold, my hope is only Jesus. Jesus, all the glory evermore to Him. When the race is complete, still my lips shall repeat, yet not I, but through Christ in me. 
when the race is complete, still my lips shall repeat, yet not I, but through Christ in me, yet not I, but through Christ in me. Benediction this morning is going to come from 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. And may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful, and he will surely do it. Go knowing that Christ has paid for your sins, and he has granted us grace and peace. Have a good week.